Jenna, what are we going to be talking about this week in our debut episode? Okay, so we're going to be talking about Taylor's roots, where she got her start. We're going to uh, even read a few pages from her diaries from this time in her life that came with the Lover Deluxe Edition. And then we are going to talk about her first big single, Tim McGraw. And then next time we meet, we are going to talk about tracks two through six. Yes. And if all goes according to plan from that point on, we're going to try to talk about five tracks per episode. Yes. But there's a very good chance that at the start of every new album, we're going to have to have a special debut album episode yes. <laughs> where we talk about where she is in her career at that point and probably the lead single. This is my new hobby. This is gonna take up all of my free time and I love it. I had so much fun with this and I feel like there's so much information that I'm gonna try to talk really fast so I don't, <laughs> this doesn't end up being like two hours long. No, that's fantastic. Honestly, here's, here's a thought. When I looked at your notes mm -hmm. and how incredibly detailed they were, <laughs> all I could think was every artist eventually gets, you know, older, and there's exhibits about them and documentaries and oh they're in the rock and roll hall of fame and whatnot and taylor swift already has a lot of interesting media created about her yes. documentaries etc but only we're only going to get more of that as she grows mm -hmm. and there are going to need to be taylor swift historians <laughs> so if there's one thing i took away from my preparation for this episode <laughs> It's that you've got a whole career laid out in front of you <laughs> I, decades to come. I will admit, as I was doing this, I it, it took me two and a half hours to research the first two songs. Wow. On just the songs, not the history or context or anything. And I thought to myself, I could write a book about her by the time we're done with this podcast. You should. <laughs> it could be the 100% should. The unofficial Taylor Swift biography. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a couple, a couple ways we could get started. We have... Pages from the diary of Taylor yes. Swift, and we also have the whole story of how she got started. So you lead the way. Well, I think we're gonna let's start with her, the context, um, the Great. history leading up to her album, awesome um, debuting, mm -hmm. the debut debuting, yes. um, <laughs> the debut of the debut. So uh, her, Taylor Allison Swift was mm -hmm. born in Reading, Pennsylvania, on December thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine, mm -hmm. and. I wanted to throw in a couple fun facts here. Oh, by all means. Um, so Taylor was named in two ways. After James Taylor, her parents were big fans of James Taylor. And also, I think this is a really fun fact, um, her dad was a stockbroker when she started out, and uh, him, him and her mom, Andrea, um, decided that they wanted to give her a name that it could be a boy's name or a girl's name. So if she was going into the business world one day, yeah. um, she wouldn't be turned away from jobs because she's a female. Oh, interesting. Which I think is interesting. She's very She's born in a business savvy family. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also wanted to take note of her birthday, December 13th, because as we know, 13 becomes like her thing that she uses to... Um, she used to paint it on the back of her hands when she would do her concerts. Um, and she uses it now for Easter eggs. And I'll give you one example that has been confirmed by Taylor. Please. The re-release of Fearless, Taylor's version, is coming out on April 9th because 4 plus 9 equals 13. Nice. She also has a reverse, uh, like 31 is another thing that she's using as Easter eggs now because it's 13 backwards. Mm -hmm. um, so... 
she this is another one that's confirmed by Taylor is there were I think 16 songs on Folklore and 15 on Evermore one of those two it's I could have had those in reverse but when you add them up it adds up to 31 interesting she's insane <laughs> it's amazing though um and so it gives people theories about what day next things might come out um mm-hmm. when she might be making new announcements there was I, I will just very briefly give one theory that has not been confirmed yet uh-huh. that i think is fun um in her apple music interview about evermore yeah at the 31 minute and 13 second mark of the video I don't know how she orchestrated it this way but um, you can hear a phone ringing in the background and she says that's interesting I didn't know I had a home phone and before she released 1989 the first time back in like 2014 she tweeted before it came out before people knew it was gonna come out um, I just realized I have a home phone this is an interesting development so people think that that was a hint that 1989 will be the next re-release oh. and the, I mean the conspiracy theory wormhole that you could go down <laughs> in in Taylor Swift's world it's insane there are so many crazy theories out there um, but I just wanted to share that little fact about her birthday because it's very important to her that's super prominent yeah. the number 13 and it comes up in important ways later huh. in, in um, her career quite interesting see I so, didn't know that <laughs> I'm not, I'm not part of that side of TikTok yet. <laughs> it's like my whole fee. So anyway, um, so she grew up on a Christmas tree farm yes. in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, which we're from Pennsylvania, but we're from Pittsburgh. Um, and Redding's on the other side of the state. Um, she got a guitar when she was eight, but her fingers were too little to play it. Aww. So she didn't learn until she was 12 when um, a computer repairman had come into her house uh, to fix her computer, yeah. saw her guitar and was like, oh, do you play? And she was like, no. And he was like, do you want me to teach you some chords? And she said, yeah. And then he did. And after that, she said that she never put it down. She spent all of her time playing guitar and writing songs. Her mom said she used to have to force her to come to dinner because she was playing too much. Um, so as soon as she was physically able to start becoming a songwriter, she just was, like, off to the races. I wonder if she ever reached out to that computer repairman to be like, thanks for... I bet she did. I'd like to think so. Yeah. That's like in the... Did you watch The Queen's Gambit? Yeah. So, remember when Beth Harmon, like, tried to find the cool janitor yeah. from her school mm-hmm. to be like, you made my career, and then he was gone. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't know. Not to get really dark, but yeah. that would be really cute if she was like, hey, thanks for teaching me the first chords I ever learned. Anyway, yeah. that's adorable. <laughs> anyway, um, so she started finding other ways to perform music. Um, mm-hmm. She was going to vocal lessons in New York City mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, she discovered Shania Twain, and um, the quote is, it made her just want to run around the block four times and daydream about everything. <laughs> Which is kind of how I feel when I listen to Taylor's music. Yeah, kind of. Um, so she would spend uh, her weekends performing um, at festivals and events. And um, in her documentary series, Journey to Fearless, which came out after her Fearless tour, um, she uh, said that she would go and she would sing the national anthem at a sports stadium mm-hmm. and uh, there'd be a write-up about it in the paper the next day and kids in school would make fun of her and think that she was weird which uh 
I bet they are all regretting that now. <laughs> Taylor's laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> Um, but she said she would actually go to like a table in the cafeteria for lunch, sit down, and everybody would get up and leave. Um, classic tween bullying. That's so crappy. So crappy. Which it doesn't make sense either because you think like someone's doing cool shit, you'd want to hang cool stuff. You'd want to <laughs> you'd want to hang out with them. I you know I would have. I, yeah, but I mean, and this actually does end up becoming kind of an important thing in her life later on um, when she does start to find friends. Um, yeah. it, it's like very impactful for her. That kind of comes up in the 1989 era. So oh, yeah, true. Just mm-hmm. something that I wanted to note there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she was 11, she learned about Nashville, mm-hmm. and uh, she saw it as a place where if you wanted to make it big in music, you'd go to Nashville. And so she became obsessed with the idea of going. She would bug her parents constantly, like, "Can we go to Nashville? Can we go to Nashville?" <laughs> so finally, on a spring break, her mom took her to Nashville. They made hundreds of CDs of her singing covers of, I think it was Dolly Parton and the Dixie Chicks. Aww. And then they would drive down Music Row. Taylor would jump oh, out I of the car. This. Wasn't she like knocking on doors? Yeah. And she would just be like, hi, I'm Taylor. I'm 13 and I want to be a songwriter. Yeah. Like, here's my CD. Call me. Yeah. What moxie she had. I mean, <laughs> so sweet. Incredible. Like, the nerve that she had to yeah. just like. The confidence. I. I wouldn't be able to do that now at the age of 27, but, um, so, and I, I think that's really, like, one of the reasons why she became so successful as, as quickly as she did yeah. was because she was working so hard. And advocated for herself. From yeah. The beginning. Mm-hmm. And she, she knew what she had and she believed in mm-hmm. herself. Um, so when she was 14, um, the record company RCA offered Taylor a development deal after they saw her perform her original songs at their showcase. And I didn't know what a development deal was before I started doing this research, mm-hmm. um, but it is it means that they gave her a year, they would watch her perform songs and write songs, they would work with her on making her songs better, and then at the end of it, they would either decide to keep her in development for another year or give her a, a record deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was working um, with... She ended up meeting Liz Rose, who she had this great relationship with. Um, So during her development, um, they would meet for two hours every Tuesday after school, which I'm actually, I'm just going to make a little note about this right now. There are a lot of songs in Taylor's uh, repertoire where she mentions Tuesdays. And I always wondered about that. Why Tuesdays? And I wonder if this has something to do with it or if it was just a coincidence. Choose to believe it. I don't know. But anyway, um, Liz Rose, uh, who's professional songwriter at this point, um, she said they were some of the easiest sessions she's ever done. She was basically just the editor. Um, Taylor would write about what happened in school that day and come in, come in with the most incredible hooks. Um, so she would come in, she'd write these songs. RCA was saying they're good, but they're not good enough. And by the end of the year of her development, they said they weren't ready to sign her yet. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I am just going to take a moment to say what a powerhouse and that she just had this instinct on her from day one when they Mm -hmm. said that they wanted her to go into another year of development Mm -hmm. which isn't a bad thing I think a lot of artists would take that as a good sign she said that she knew they were never going to let her write the songs that she wanted to write write so she walked on the deal Yeah. at the age of I think she was 16 at this point 
just and her parents were like what are you are you sure yeah. and she said yeah I'm I know this is the right thing to do mm-hmm. I cannot take this offer I I'm gonna have to find somewhere else to yeah. record amazing that is pretty amazing amazing yeah that she had that that insight at um, only at 16 years old like yeah like you had said at 28 I don't even know if I'd yeah. <laughs> probably would just like take out any, any opportunity that was given to me right yeah um and she said, the quote that I have from her is, I genuinely felt that I was running out of time. I wanted to capture these years of my life on an album while they still represented what I was going through. Wow. So she just believed in herself. Yeah. Um, and then one day um, she was performing a showcase at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, which mm-hmm. is also where Faith Hill was discovered. And um, this guy, Scott Borchetta, was there who... <laughs> We'll get to him later. Um, but he approached her. He said that he wanted her on his record label. Turns out he didn't actually have a record label yet. And she was the first artist that he picked to be on his label. So he asked her, will you wait for me until I have my label? Mm-hmm. You're going to be my first artist. And she said yes. And then in June 2006, she released her first single, Tim McGraw. I thought that was really interesting. That I mean, again, he. I get that they had a great partnership, and she obviously found a lot of success with him. But the fact that he came up to her and was like, "Be on my record label." Well, I don't have one yet, but yeah. I was like, "Huh." <laughs> In hindsight, that's really fascinating. In hindsight, yeah, a little yeah, skeezy. Yeah. Do you want me to attempt to uh, yeah. uh, g- continue the story here to yes, give please. you a little bit of a rest here? She got signed with uh, Scott Borchetta, which was his first, his very first client. Released Tim McGraw. Um, and unsurprisingly, proved to be a workhorse, mm-hmm. as did Mama Swift, Ugh. whom we love and worship. Yeah. They packaged up hundreds of copies of her CDs with a single on them and mailed them to radio DJs and sent batches with homemade cookies and asked the DJs to play the song on the radio. Which, Amazing. How many cookies did Mama Swift bake <laughs> in the kitchen to help her daughter achieve her dreams? Pretty incredible. She's she's. Great. So cute. And then um, that she hand-delivered them in what she called a radio tour, which consisted of her and her mother driving to radio stations in a rental car, <laughs> handing out the CD, and then playing a few songs uh, for the radio DJs in the station, and qu- what was quote-unquote begging them to play her song mm-hmm. on the radio. And so much of uh, that year, 2006, when Tim McGraw was released, um, was spent promoting the debut album, because no one, no one knew who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did a radio tour, she had TV appearances, um, and then eventually got the awesome gig of opening for Rascal Flatts, yes. which was super cool, on their tour after they fired Eric Church. <laughs> <laughs> which is so interesting. And it, it was, yeah, it was, because he played longer than his allotted time. Yeah. And I, I love this this next bit, which I didn't know until you wrote this in, that he, yep. that Eric Church had later told Taylor Swift that she should give him her, her first gold <laughs> record because he, obviously he got fired and then that landed for the Rascal Flatts tour, which I was happy to see that she did have a sense of humor about it and actually did send it to him with a note that said like, thanks for playing too long and getting me my first big gig with Rascal Flatts. Yes. <laughs> which is such a power move. Absolutely. Queen of power moves. Uh, then on October 24th, 2006, uh, she released the debut album officially, Taylor Swift, 
sold 39,000 copies in the first week. A modest start for a woman who would be the biggest pop star of all time eventually. Yes. Um, and as sales of her album started climbing, she began opening for more shows uh, for huge country names like Brad Paisley and Kenny Chesney, Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney. That's like the biggest one there. Mm-hmm. Those Kenny Chesney concerts get crazy. Oh yeah, they get wild. Yeah, it's like a in thing. Pittsburgh, it's scary, honestly. Yeah, she she <laughs> says she rehearsed over and over, and that she loved it. It was one of her favorite times. So she started Hendersonville High School in ninth grade, where she felt more accepted by her peers than she did in Pennsylvania, uh, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. In English class, she was seated next to a redhead named Abigail. To say they bonded over their cynicism and became instant best friends, and I love this. Mm. Taylor played many of her songs for Abigail before she played them for anyone else, and they are still friends to this day, yes. which is so cool. Am I right about thinking that Abigail was in Miss Americana? She was. Oh, okay. Yep. There's a scene where they're in her Nashville apartment making dinner making together. Dinner together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taylor admits that she drew a lot of inspiration from being in high school and all the feelings she had at the time, which is evident in songs like Teardrops on My Guitar and 15. Yeah. Straight up, there are a lot of songs that just hit you right in the high school feels. It, I, when I was <laughs> listening to these songs, um, as we were taking these notes, a lot of them, I was like, Ooh, this takes me back. <laughs> is, I am back in high school right now. <laughs> it's a very special brand of drama. Yes. All right, I will punt the mic back over to you. Okay. Um, so just a couple of like the the headline stats about how her album performed. Um, mm-hmm. Taylor Swift, the album peaked at number five on the U.S. Billboard 200, where it spent 157 weeks, which is the longest day on the chart by any release in the U.S. in the 2000s decade. Ooh. Amazing for that to be her first album. Awesome. Um, It debuted at number 19 on the Billboard 200 chart and, um, like we said, sold 40,000 copies in the first week. About a year later, it sold 1 million copies. And to date, it has, well, as of October 2020, um, it has sold 5.75 million in the United States and was certified seven times platinum. So. Yeah, it's not not too shabby for your first album. Not too shabby. So, do you want to read some of the diary pages yes. from this time in her life that touch on a lot of the things that we just talked about? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to read the first one. Okay. So this is from June 24th, 2003. And, oh, to clarify, this is in the deluxe album version number four. Yes, of Lover. Lover. Only available at Target. <laughs> Here's Shaq crunching in the background. Okay. So, June 24th, 2003. Taylor writes, Hey, diary. I got a record deal. Ah! H-H-H-H-H! Exclamation point. RCA Records in Nashville wants to sign me, or wants to give me a development deal. We were... But who's sassy? We were taking Sassy to the airport. I don't know who Sassy is. Sassy. I was like, oh, is that her dog? And I'm like, wait, they're taking them to the airport, so it's probably not a dog. We were taking someone called Sassy to the airport late, and when we were headed home, uh, we stopped at Taco Bell. My manager called us on Mom's cell, and she gave the phone to me. He had Dad on conference call. He started started out. Yep. Her A's are really weird. She does not have the neatest handwriting. She doesn't. Which, it's great to know she's not perfect. Yeah. He's, 
He started out by saying, well, we got follow-ups on all of the labels, and they think you need a couple of years to grow so they can put you on the radio, except for RCA, who wants to sign you. Congratulations. I was going crazy. I cried. I guess I never really expected to get one. That's That, like, really hit me in the feels. <laughs> it's a development deal, but those are the only details we have. I told a bazillion people <laughs> we were making CDs for a, a New Hampshire concert I have on Friday till 2 a.m. tonight. Aw, they were making CDs until 2 a.m. The, the girl put in the work. She really did. And then she closes off by saying, Ah, record deal! RCA, baby! And signs it Taylor Swift. It's the I cutest thing I've ever read. that our queen Taylor Swift goes to Taco Bell. Goes to Taco Bell. I know, right? You're in great company. You're a Taco Bell girl. I David's totally a Taco am. Bell guy, too. My brother's obsessed with Taco Bell. Like, well, so is Taylor Swift, so. Yeah. Okay, um, this one is from April 20th, 2004, when she was 14 years old. Um, and... I think this is kind of interesting. She had written down Why I'm Missing, which is where she lived in Pennsylvania, crossed it out and wrote Hendersonville, which oh. is like, did she forget where she was when she was writing this? Probably. She wrote down her PA hometown and yeah. then was like, oh, wait, no, I'm in, I'm in Tennessee now. And this must have been when she just, um, just started yeah. school in Nashville. Yeah. So she writes, hey, I heart school. Today was the talent show. It was at 9.30 a.m. in front of the whole school. I was toward the end. When it was my turn, I sang Beautiful Eyes on my 12-string guitar. It went well. I got a standing ovation and everything. After school, Mom and I went into Nashville and met at the label. I played Angelina and Beautiful Eyes for them. They told us that we have to, we have to pay for any demos we make before the deal. Dot, dot, dot. We didn't know about that. <laughs> Afterward, we went to RCA Cafe. The people who played were really good, and I want to write with a girl named Liz Rose who played. That The first time I read that, I got chills. Like, yeah. seeing the diary page where she wrote it when she was 14, and then she and Liz Rose does, do so much together mm -hmm. um, yeah. that it's just, just really cool. That's really cute. Yeah. All right, this one is from October 18th, 2006, and I like that she writes on the top of the page her media base position and her billboard position it's like media base 14 billboard 17 it's like she's tracking how she's doing on the charts this is another very excited one. Oh my god in all caps i am on the rascal flats tour she writes i got the call yesterday and screamed louder than i can ever remember screaming before I'm opening up for the last nine dates of their tour. I'm so excited. My first Rascal Flatts show is tomorrow night in Omaha, Nebraska. And then again, I am so excited. So in big capital letters and signs of Taylor Swift. <laughs> okay, and then this is the last one that we'll read. Um, this is from April 8th, 2007. She's 17 years old and wrote this on a plane that's listed in like the little date at the top of the page. Um, okay, so she says, I'm on the plane on the way to LA because we're playing the opening day for the Dodgers tomorrow. Yeah, it's Easter. <laughs> I packed for LA and we, parentheses my mom and I, went to the airport. At the gate, I got recognized by all these girls on a softball team and this couple whose daughters love my CD. It happens everywhere I go now. So crazy to read something yeah. like that. Now I'm reading her diary pages and like she's she can't believe that she's getting recognized. 
Um, she says, at lunch it happened five times, so I signed the team's autographs and took pictures. Then they asked me to play a song, parentheses, not thinking I'd say yes. <laughs> so Emily, Grant, Ben, and I pulled out our instruments and played our song in teardrops on my guitar right there in the airport terminal. Ha, it was fun. <laughs> Can you imagine? If that were to happen now, uh, she'd be completely swarmed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, not knowing anything about her, seeing that, and being like, huh, who's like, that? that? What's going on? And then years later, you realize, like, you saw Taylor Swift performing at the airport. <laughs> My God. And also, the people on that softball team must have just been, like, oh, yeah, losing e- their mind. Ecstatic. Um, anyway, she says, now we're just sitting here on the plane, dot, 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 doing nothing. It's exactly a week till the CMT Music Awards, and I am so nervous. <laughs> so that's it for, those are the diary pages in version four of her deluxe lover album that relate to her first album and beginning of her career. The Taylor Swift era. Ugh. I guess if we're going by er- eras by album, yes. I guess we could call it that. Oh, that's so cool. All right, so let's get into right. the actual song. Yeah, let's do it. So track number one is Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw. A song that debuted at number 60 on the U.S. Billboard Hot Country Songs chart and spent 26 weeks on the chart before reaching a peak of six, number six. Um, the song also peaked at number 40 on the Hot 100 chart, the first of 13 consecutive top 40 hits, as well as the first of her 20 char- charted hits in the last three years. Uh, Tim McGraw received two awards in 2007. It won the BMI Country Awards award-winning songs and the CMT Music Awards Breakthrough Video of the Year. So not a bad start for the first single off the uh, (laughs) off the track. So, do you want to take the lead on your thoughts on song production? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I actually think this song is really, really strong production wise. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I'm going to be offering this disclaimer so much. Yes, I really don't like country music. (laughs) Like, and I think I forgot how much I disliked country music Mm -hmm. until I started listening to to this (laughs) album, and was like, oh yeah, there's a reason that I didn't <laughs> gravitate toward it when it was when she was first starting out. Uh, that said, I'm trying to be very objective and very fair. Um, and I do. I think it's a really, really well-crafted song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it the instrumentation does not compete with her voice at all. Mm-hmm. I thought she sounds really pure and really, really prominent. Her voice sounds very, very strong. I'm not a fan of that dude who does backup harmonies for her. Nathan Chapman. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's great. Yeah. And I'm sure he's, a, I know he's a talented singer. Um, but I think her young voice was was really unique and in, in the studio sounded wonderful. So mm-hmm. when he does the harmonies, I'm always like, can you just, shh, like, I just want to hear her. Um, and I think that with a lot of country songs in my opinion kind of fall into this trap where there's so much going on it feels like my ears are just getting accosted with so many (laughs) instruments it's like there's a banjo and a fiddle and a tambourine rattle and rhythm guitar and electric guitar and the full percussion and piano and all this stuff and it it can be a lot Mm -hmm. and I felt like this song didn't do that it felt like it was really balanced Mm -hmm. um and I really like hearing her sing in C major because I think it's her sweet spot. And there are times in this on this album and other songs where she, I think she sounds good, mm-hmm. but it feels like maybe she's straining a little bit or singing in a range that just doesn't come completely naturally to her. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this song, the, from start to finish, it was like 
you sounded completely comfortable the whole time and really confident. Um, and so I think it was a very well produced song. Yeah. My only change would be either just turn down the volume on those harmonies or if we really want to be harsh, we could just be like, get out of there, Chapman. Um, but yeah. 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 I, I agree with you about Nathan Chapman. And that's, I'll get back to it when we get to the critique section uh-huh. of this. But yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it was an odd choice. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly to have, I mean, if Liz Rose was in there, I don't know if maybe Liz Rose doesn't sing, but why it couldn't maybe have not. been a female voice instead of right. a male voice. Yeah. But anyway, um, I thought when I, I listened to this song several times before I started taking notes because this is, this album is the one I have the least amount of exposure to. Yeah. Um, even though I did listen to it when it first came out, I probably haven't listened to it all the way through since I was like 14. Um, so I didn't really remember this song super well. And as I was listening to it and thinking about, it starts out with just her and her guitar and her voice. And the instruments, like, the rest of the instrumentation doesn't come in right away. Right. It's, and I thought, like, metaphorically speaking, I, you, you know, ma'am, I'm a I sucker know. for it's a so good poetic. metaphor. It's so poetic. <laughs> um, that was, it's kind of symbolic of the beginning of her career, because her career started with her just a girl on a guitar and amazing songwriting, amazing lyrics. I think this is a very impressive song. Yes. Lyrically for the age that she was when she wrote it. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, you know, looking back on it now, if you just read the lyrics, I don't think that I would assume automatically that this was written by a 15, 16 year old girl. Agreed. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how she re-records it. Because um, I think with the work that she's been doing with um, Aaron Dessner, yeah. and particularly... The re-release that we just got, the From the Vault song, uh, You've All Over oh, Me. yeah, with Marin Morris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that was, like, an interesting hint into, a very exciting hint into what the re-records are going to be like. Yes. Um, not to spend too much time on that. But, um, yeah, I just, my my main thought was just that I, I think that it was a smart choice to start out with her. Mm-hmm. Um, just her and her guitar and her really sharp sharp lyrics uh yeah. that first line of the song is just like whoa like that's yeah the way your blue eyes shine what was it like makes the star puts the stars to shame or something like puts the georgia stars, stars to, to shame. shame that night i said that's a lie yeah it's like what a romantic thing to say and then she just snaps right back right. Like, that's a lie <laughs> and she's got this really young sounding voice you're like who is this this right. like she's spunky she's spunky and she's smart and mm-hmm. I just, I, I also, I agree with you. I like the sound production a lot on mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Um, so shall we move on to our best lyrics? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I will uh, turn it over to you fairly quickly because you actually, well, I read through yours mm-hmm. and I was like, you, you covered all of mine. <laughs> I only added one to the list and it was um, September saw a month of tears and thanking God that you weren't here to see me like that. <sighs> And I, again, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really mature line mm-hmm. because there's um, I think that a lot of teenage girls, when they go through a breakup, mm-hmm. quote unquote breakup, yeah, would be really overdramatic about it and want to draw attention to themselves because they want the person to either come back to them or they want him to feel bad for her or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, here's this very mature perspective, which is I wanted to mourn 
away from you. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be because it's embarrassing. Like yeah. I have sh- I have shame about how much I was invested in you. I thought like that's really unique for a, a teen pop star to say something yeah. like that. So that was the lyric that hit me. And then I know it's on your list as well. But the 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 other one that really like punched me mm-hmm. um, was as you say, queen of the city of bridges, it, it was the bridge. And she says, I'm back for the first time since then. I'm standing on your street and there's a letter left on your doorstep in the first thing that you'll read. And then it goes into the refrain again. And with that interesting turn. Yes, with the turn. And I think the thing I loved about that so much, which I'm, I'm guessing you were probably feeling the same thing, is um, that this so easily could have just been a, a song that repeated itself and repeated the refrain and mm. was like, you know, oh, we broke up and I hope you think of me when you hear these things. But she added this narrative thread into it. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually see in your head, oh, it's not just a song about a breakup. I'm I'm watching events unfold yeah. and I can see her now going up to the porch and sliding this letter under the door and that she's written the lyrics to the song on the letter. So there's, there's imagery and storytelling and that's pretty impressive that even at a young age she was able to infuse her first single ever yeah. with that level of like craftsmanship. I thought that was super cool. And you know, um, I totally lost my train of thought that I was just going to say. Girl, that's okay. There was a great pause there. It'll be a nice clean edit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to chop all this out. You can take as long as oh. you want to find your train of thought. I got it back. I got it back. Okay. Um, I think this is, the first example of something that she does really well and we'll see it time and time again in a lot of her songs where she sets a scene at the beginning and then at the end she just has a slight change of the lyrics where you're you're shifting perspectives she's moving into a different place by the end of the song you can feel the emotional growth throughout the song Mm -hmm. it's like a whole story happens in three minutes and like okay next chapter um yeah and I just, I think that's one of her strongest skills. Yeah. And I did, I wanted to take a quick second to say that, um, so Carly and I live in Pittsburgh, which is known as the city of bridges. And so there's going to be moments when we're talking about different songs that she's going to get the queen of the city of bridges award because no one writes a bridge like Taylor Swift writes no a bridge. One. No, no one. No one. Yes. That's right. Um, and Pittsburgh is called the city of bridges. Yes. If anyone outside of this city ever listens to this podcast, <laughs> just so you know, yeah. that's the in joke. There. Yes. Um, just wanted to call out one other line, which was we already said the opening line mm-hmm. is such a cool, interesting, um, sharp way to start the song. Um, but I, I also really, really liked the moon like a spotlight on the lake. That imagery is just beautiful. Yeah. And it makes it feel so much more dramatic. I mean, this is two teenagers out at night in the countryside by a lake. Like, it's not that dramatic. That's something very common in, like, you know, in a small town. Um, But the way that she describes the moon just makes it feel magical and, like, very dramatic. You can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, moving on. Best musical moments. Um, I will say... I'm also not a big country fan. I am. I like it more than Carly does. Yes, you do. <laughs> Definitely. You're a little kinder than I am when it comes to country. Um, but like I said, when I listened to this, I went through it many times. I played it like five or six times. So I was really like listening hard for things that I thought stood out musically, which is why I've got very specific notes about this. 
Um, but I thought there's a guitar section at the 2.30 mark before she starts the bridge that I thought was really nice. And then the way the instrumentation builds during the bridge and then just drops out. So it's just her voice and very, very soft instrumentation. Mm-hmm. I thought I found very satisfying. It felt like climbing a roller coaster and then like right when you're at that peak, just like, like you're just getting sent yeah. into that very emotional last chorus where it does take the turn in the change of perspective. Yep. So critique, my only critique is having, as we talked about, <laughs> Nathan Chapman's vocal back backing and particularly when he says, I hope you think that little black dress, like, it's just like, I don't know, Taylor singing it. I'm imagining her in a little black dress, and now I'm imagining an old man in a little black <laughs> dress. And I, it's just a little disorienting to me. <laughs> I don't know how old he is, by the way. I shouldn't have called him old. But <laughs> anyway, that's my critique of the song. I'm sorry, Nathan Chapman. You're very talented. <laughs> You're going to offend all the Nathan Chapman fans <laughs> out there. Um, no, but it was funny. I, when you wrote that, initially I was laughing because I'm like, well, it's backup vocals they just sing whatever the main singer is but I I get it because she is a teenager and there's something that's just a little bit again it's not like oh it's wrong or weird or it's just like it makes you pause yeah like huh like all right no yeah I mean my yeah my only critique I would agree with that I think that the the male backup vocals just don't really do it for me Mm -hmm. and this is not a critique it's just too country for me yeah and there were certain words that would pop up that would just make my country dislike my dislike of country kind of bubble up to the surface and every time like those Georgia stars mm-hmm. and like you're a boy in a pickup truck yeah. and my faded blue jeans and every time they would pop up I would just kind of laugh to myself because I'm, I'm just thinking again nothing against it it's just so not my type of music yeah um, so that's like not even a fair critique. I think it's a very good song. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good country song. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll say. I, I did want to make one quick note here. Yeah. Why Georgia stars? Because she lived in Pennsylvania and she lived in Tennessee. What was she doing in Georgia? Is it just because it fit the rhythm better than Tennessee stars? Is it because it just sounds a little bit nicer with stars than Tennessee does? Oh. I'd I just have a question. If anybody knows the answer to that, if we DM have, us. if we have any <laughs> listeners that are not like our close friends who know the answers <laughs> to these things, please tell us what the heck she was doing in Georgia with this guy. Yeah, she was only sixteen. She shouldn't have been driving all the way to Georgia. No, random it, guy. It felt like it was like a summer long fling. Like it wasn't yeah. like a one time occurrence. Yeah. So what was she doing in Georgia? No I have no idea. It's. That's just my Someone, yeah, someone reach out with the info (laughs) at some point, please. We'd love clarity. Thank you. Okay, so the music video. Oh, girl. (laughs) I think we should be fair here and preface this by saying, in 2006, a lot of music videos were like this, that were, like, very campy, very over the top. Um, But just some facts about the music video. Mm -hmm. Um, It was directed by Trey Fanjoy. Um, in regards to the video's concept, Swift said it deals with the haunting power of music and how hearing a song years after it was first popular can have such an emotional appeal. She's not wrong. It's she is clutching a Zenith radio close to her chest <laughs> while lying by a lake. It's so dramatic. It's super dramatic. <laughs> um, She's not wrong. I would agree with that. I thought this was a fun fact. Um, Clayton Collins 
plays her love interest in the music video. Um, he was cast because of he, I guess, resembles the man who, or the guy who this song was written about. Um, they're both tall and have dark hair, which is like, I don't know, a third of the male population? <laughs> anyway, um, the, uh, oh, I thought I had in here where that guy was from. Maybe that's in my uh, fun facts section. Oh, maybe. I'll have to cut that part out. That's um, so the video premiered on July 22nd, 2006 on Great American Country. It received a nomination for number one streamed video from a new artist um, at the web-hosted 2006 CMT Online Awards. It did not win. Um, and at the 2007 CMT Music Awards, we mentioned earlier, it did win um, the award for Breakthrough Video of the Year. And to date, the video has over 44 million views on YouTube. Which is crazy because that's actually a really small amount compared to a lot of her other music videos. I mean, yes. she's got music videos that are in the billions. Yes. So, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. It's like a little time capsule. So, give me your take on the music video. Oh, like... well, I would love to. <laughs> um, I agree with you. It is so super campy. <laughs> but we love that. Yeah. It was the early 2000s, and she's a teenage girl. Yeah. Camp away, mm -hmm. I say. You're allowed, <laughs> Taylor. Um, I kept laughing because of the guy's haircut. Yes. Now, I know that was incredibly popular in the early 2000s, but he looked like the dude from Green Day to me. <laughs> or, like, young Brendan Urie. Oh. Um, and I just kept, like, chuckling to myself because of because the haircut cut was such a sign of the times. And then I was also laughing because I saw a TikTok the other day that my friend Emily sent me mm -hmm. of a dude who kind of had a similar haircut and his... The video was like him in a car, like jamming to country music while like drinking Jack out of a bottle or something. <laughs> he wasn't in the driver's seat. Oh, okay. And it just said like, when you're emo but raised country. <laughs> and I just was looking at this kid thinking, you look like you should be in a punk pop video. Yeah. But here you are, faded blue jeans. It's so out of place. But you know what? Let's just roll with it. That's fine. Oh, and then I... I love that he lived in the cabin from the sign of the beaver. Like, we walk up to his house, and it looks like, like, Matt. What was that kid's name? Do you remember that freaking book? Uh, Did you ever read it? Oh, I Jenna, did. it was terrible. This is so off topic. It was a book we were all forced to read in fourth grade about this settler colonist boy who becomes friends with an Indian. It, it was probably very offensive. Yeah. Anyway, he's abandoned in this cabin by his parents in, yeah. like, New England. And we walk up, we follow this dude in Taylor's video yeah. up to his house. It's in the middle of It's the, in the in middle of nowhere. Yeah. A, a log cabin yeah. that looks like it's from the, the 1600. Like, <laughs> I don't. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It looks like something out of a horror movie where, like, the teenagers go yes! and they don't realize Cabin it's a in the woods! Cabin in the woods! <laughs> Um, it was so goofy, but yeah. she looks beautiful. She does. Um, and actually, I appreciated the simplicity of it. I think something that really irks me nowadays is when people try to create like a whole elaborate story mm -hmm. in a music video. She's guilty of that. She later is. On. Yeah. This is absolutely <laughs> true. And that bugs me sometimes mm -hmm. because some, I think it's a music video. It's yeah. not a movie. There's a reason that this is three minutes and not ten. We don't want them to be ten. Uh, super campy, uh, but you know what? It was It's a sign of the times that I appreciated it. Made yeah. me laugh. <laughs> it was cute. I, what stood out to me uh, outside of the serial killer log cabin in the woods 
which I, I have to assume that was a budget thing. Um, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, the other thing that stood out to me was, like, she's really selling it. Like, yes. I, yes. I thought it looked like she had a real relationship with that guy. He was not selling it for me, but she totally was. Agreed. Um, and I also wrote down that she just looks like an actual angel in this video. I mean, she's... I obviously was very much done on purpose, but just looks completely angelic in this video. She did, yeah. She's gorgeous. Okay. I am excited about these next couple of sections because... Mm -hmm. And I think... This is such a smart move on her part. Her first big song is name dropping one of the biggest artists in country music. So obviously he's gonna respond to it if it gets any airtime at all. And then he does, and it just becomes this whole thing that's just like free publicity for her. So smart, yeah. so smart. So yeah. anyhow, um, <clears throat> the my favorite, well, I, I don't know. These are both really, really nice performances. Um, going back to Taylor being an absolute, just brave, confident, amazing 16-year-old. I can't imagine where she got this confidence from. But she performed this at the 2007 Academy of Country Music Awards, ACM Awards. Um, she's on the stage when she sings the first verse, and then um, she's singing the bridge, and she walks down the stage steps into the audience directly in front of Tim McGraw and Faith Hill and sings the last part of the song to him. It was honestly, I kind of felt like maybe she should have waited a little bit longer before she went down there because it felt, it started to get a little awkward. bit like, awkward <laughs> that she was standing there for so long singing to him. Yeah. And he's like enjoying it. And then the song ends. This 16 year old who just got her big break puts her hand out and goes, Hi, I'm Taylor. And then gives Tim McGraw and Faith Hill a hug on TV. I mean, I just, she's amazing. It was so cute. It was so cute. Yeah, it was super, super cute. And you could tell that they were very endeared by it. Yes. You know? And it was, it, I 100% I agree. She went down fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And there was a, I feel like there was just slightly too long of a period of time yeah. where she was standing in front of him singing straight to his face. Yes. And you know what? Like, I mean, whatever. It was a power move. It was amazing. It yeah. was such a photo op. But I couldn't help but get the secondhand embarrassment of like audience participation fear. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever you're at a show or something and one of the actors like comes up to you and starts talking to you directly yes. and how terrifying that is. And I'm an actor and that still freaks me out whenever I'm like, oh no, they're, they're singing at me. They're looking at me <laughs> like they want me to do something. And so I can only imagine Tim McGraw. I mean, he's a performer, so he was probably yeah. fine, but he's just sitting there in his Stetson, like nodding yeah. his head kind of, and you can see he's like, Oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to say... It was cute. I have... I don't know very much about Tim McGraw. Me neither. I have so much respect for him for the way that he handled this because yes. he was so kind. He was super sweet to her. And yeah. so was Faith Hill. They both yes. stood up and hugged her. And, um, yeah, it was adorable. I thought that was a really iconic first performance of her first yes. big song. And uh, I don't know if uh, you probably did read this as well. Somewhere in on an, in an article or something, I'd also read that I think it might have been a radio station had interviewed Tim McGraw and asked him if he was aware of the song. 
Oh, that's is that in here? Oh, yes, good. Okay, then I'll I'll keep that. I'll wait for that. That was super cute too. Yes. It gave me more respect for him because yes. I'm like, oh, I love that he's being so kind to this young artist. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really cool. Um, I think that this performance also, for me, was really cool because it showed you. It was so. It was such a contrast to her vocal strength today mm-hmm. because she is a very beautiful. Uh, a very, very beautiful voice, and especially as a kid, it was like it was like a little angel. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's such a sweet, like, you just, you think, like, look at this brave little girl. Like, yes. she's just doing her thing, and she's doing so well. Today, but she, but she would have, you know, occasionally, like, you'd hear the pitch go off, or she'd sound a little bit shaky, or a little bit nervous, and that yeah. kind of thing, which, like, who wouldn't be? They're a teenager on the stage at a country music award type Especially thing. with what she was planning on Yeah, and staring yeah. straight at Tim McGraw, like, yeah. what? Today, we're watching her for example, perform songs from like Folklore and Evermore mm-hmm. at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. And you could tell she was singing live because you could hear the breath. And it, it, you can always tell. I mean, you can see when someone's taking the breath and if it matches what you're hearing. That performance was pitch perfect. I don't think there was a single moment in the Evermore and Folklore medley that mm-hmm. she did this year, 2021, that was off pitch, that was wavering, or that was shaking. It was just pure, supported, like incredible breath control the whole time and like that girl worked so hard for 10 years and she was already good she didn't have to do that Mm -hmm. but that just shows you like how dedicated she is to her craft that Mm -hmm. she went if you watch those performances like one after the other it's like what yeah what an amazing person who has so much skill and then worked 10 times harder to make it even better than it already was yeah and I think that's a perfect segue into the other notable live performance, which was when she brought Tim McGraw and Faith Hill on stage during her Reputation tour. Yes! So cool! And watching those two performances back to back, it was like, first of all, I mean, she's just grown so much, like physically, because mm-hmm. she's an adult now. Yeah. Um, her voice is so much stronger. Uh-huh. And then the change, the switch from her singing to him when he wasn't expecting it at an awards show to having him and Faith Hill come up on stage with her and sing it with her, I just have chills. Yeah. Like, it's, what an amazing... Pinch me. Yeah. yeah so cool. Uh, evolution that has taken, her career has taken. Just, ugh, so great. Um, okay, Easter eggs and who this yes. song is about. So, um, I actually, I, we should switch the order of these two categories. Oh, sure. The liner notes hidden message kind of like leads into this. Mm -hmm. So the hidden message in the liner notes was Can't Tell Me Nothing, which is the Tim McGraw song that she's referencing in the song, which I thought was very cute. Mm -hmm. Um, The Easter eggs are who the song's about. Um, She has said that I wrote the song in my freshman year of high school. I was dating a guy who was about to go off to college. I knew we were going to break up, so I started thinking of all the things that I knew would remind me of him. Surprisingly, the first thing that came to mind was that my favorite country artist is Tim McGraw. So that's cute. I mean, it's very much a high school reaction to something like that. (laughs) Sweet. Um, Yeah. Okay, personal history. Um, (laughs) You have N.A. I have no personal history with this song. (laughs) Honestly, this recording this podcast and preparing for this was the first time I'd heard it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, unless it was on the radio and I was unconscious of it, which is perfectly possible, this was a new song for me. So, yeah, it's totally fresh slate over here interesting yeah okay this is embarrassing (laughs) um when i first heard this it was 
I think I was 13 or 14 years old when I first heard this. Um, I, I totally misunderstood the lyrics. Um, this was, I mean, like very first listen, like when I would go, when I listened to it a second or third time, I was like, oh, I was wrong. But on first listen, I thought that she was saying, when you think, comma, Tim McGraw, comma, as though she was singing it to him. Oh. <laughs> And I had this <laughs> now I can't unhear it. Like I was I'm I singing it in my head and I'm just like, <laughs> I have I had this very Wattpad scenario in my mind as I'm listening to this of like, did this girl like hook up with Tim McGraw and then like write a song about it? And for the record, I didn't know I don't think I knew when I first heard the album exactly how old she was. I don't think I knew that she was 16. Got it. I think it was like, she's around my age, maybe slightly older than me. Um, And also, I've always had this thing for like, older guys, younger (laughs) girls. Like, I've always really liked older guys. Uh And I mean, how many of us have not imagined meeting your favorite singer and having something with them? So I was like, this is scandalous. Like, (laughs) she... She was dancing in a, in a lake in a little black dress with Tim McGraw. And when he hears this, he's going to know that she wrote a song. And then the next time I heard it, I was like, oh, I got it all wrong. Which is actually really funny, though, because you had kind of foreshadowed in your own mind what would happen to her in the press. Yeah. Everybody would would jump on her for being like, oh, you keep outing guys in your songs. like, And, and yeah. talk about you know your relationships and making it all so public. It's like... You thought she was doing that before she was even doing that. Eventually, I would become satisfied by that. Right, you would get your wish would be granted. Your what yeah. your what had dream fantasy would come true, except not with Tim McGraw and other guys. I will say now, as an adult who is not thirteen or fourteen years old, it would have been very inappropriate for them to have had a fling or a relationship. True. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was like, oh, that's a little saucy, like, but okay. oh, scandalous. <laughs> Anyhow, so I don't have any real history with this song. I just, That's it. I'm embarrassed every time I hear it because I'm like, why would I have thought that? But anyhow, so you're in good company. My mom always mishears lyrics. My favorite, my favorite one is you know the song uh, "Night Moves" by Bob Seger. Working on my night moves. Oh, it's like my favorite song of all time. I'll play it for you sometime. Okay. So anyway, my mom, it's basically about, he's, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. I can cut this out. But (laughs) uh, the song is about uh, like hooking up with other teens when you're a teen. So working on my night moves, working Uh on the night moves was like, oh, like when I was a kid and we were both 15 and we would be in the back of a car making out, you know, it's like that kind of thing. For my mom's like whole life. Up until probably she was like 45 or 50 years old. <laughs> that might be an exaggeration. But I'm going to go with it. She thought he was saying, working on the night news. And that the song was about being like a late night news reporter. <laughs> going out and covering stories. That's adorable. <laughs> the there were no other context clues. No, I guess she didn't hear any of the other stuff that very explicitly stated that they were making out in the back of a car. She only focused on the refrain. And for most of her life, she thought that Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band were singing about working on the night news. That's hilarious. You're not alone. And you should leave that in because it's a very funny story. If this, if this podcast ever goes anywhere, everybody will know my mom's shame. <laughs> It's such a sweet mistake. It's so pure, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's very pure. All right, moving on. Fun 
facts, and there are a lot for this time. Ah, uh, yes. And I, I feel like I should just take a note here to say that there's a lot to say about this song because it was one of our singles, and there's the stuff with Tim McGraw, so mm. not all of our analyses will be this long-winded. There was just so much to say about this so song. So much, yeah. And it was also interesting that I was like, I'm going to leave it all in. It's fair. So, do you want to take the first sure. fun fact? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, the idea for the song came to Taylor during math class. Cool. She said, the song means so much to me, and that's why we wanted it to be the first track on the album. Uh, the song, which appears to be centered on a summer romance, is actually about her boyfriend who moved away. Sitting in her math class, she just started to sing to herself, when you think Tim McGraw, over and over. Soon after, she left the classroom, and she recorded a voice memo about the song, which I love because like, that's still how she jots down her yes. ideas. It's always on her iPhone. Uh, and then after school, she went downtown to meet with Liz Rose and sat down at the piano, and they finished the song in 15 minutes. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And it really encapsulates like how she works, because yes. you hear so many stories about how, like, all too well, which we'll talk about later, oh. but like when she just walks into the studio, mm -hmm. and it just happens. Yeah. That's how you, a lover, she said that happened with lover, she sat yes. down at the piano, and it was just like, poof, there mm -hmm. it is. Amazing. Yeah. Magician. Um, the line, someday you'll turn your radio on in the final chorus, uh, was altered in some markets with your radio being replaced with like the name of a radio, like a local station or popular show hosts or DJs, which I thought was really cute. I thought that was amazing because yeah. that means that she had to re-record that like part a bunch of times, a bunch of times yeah. which obviously she's not averse to putting in a whole lot of hard work to get local country stations to play her song, but mm -hmm. I just thought that was really yeah. interesting. super cute. Um, and I think when she would, she would do the same thing in her live performances of the Aww, that song as well. That's fun. Um, so Tim McGraw himself, <laughs> Yes. Um, I thought this was really funny. When he first heard the song, he said that, um, I thought it was a good song. I was a little apprehensive about it when I first heard it. Then I thought... Have I gotten to that age now where they're going to start singing songs about me? Does that mean I've jumped the shark a bit? Is everything still cool? <laughs> so I love that, like, this threw him off when he first heard it. it. was like, oh my god, is my career going down the drain? Like, am I too old now? They're writing songs about me? And he says, um, I then realized, uh, somebody told me that she was in her seventh grade math class when she wrote the song, so it made me feel a little bit better. Um, because she was so young writing it, so I didn't feel I was that terribly old. <laughs> Funny. Um, and she went on to open for his tour with uh, Faith Hill, the Soul to Soul tour. This is going to be a dumb question. Are Tim McGraw and Faith Hill married? They are. Okay, got it. Yes. I, I figured, and, and then I was like, I just want to make sure I'm not making shit up in my head. No, okay. you're, you're right. <laughs> um, and he says, again, I just, I love how sweet he is about her, how kind he is. Mm -hmm. um, he seems like a nice guy. Yes. Anyway, he says, it was incredible. It was just her and the guitar and one other person. Just two people, her and another guy playing. I'm a big fan of Taylor's. I think that she just has a unique way of connecting with her audience and her songwriting ability and her intuition is just so incredible. Um, <laughs> and then he says, I think she's one of the greatest artists to come along in a long time. And I agree, Tim. True that, Tim. This one's all yours. All right, let's see. A country radio station was interviewing Tim McGraw yes. after this song came out and surprised him by bringing Taylor on via phone. Um, and she was live on the air with him and the two hadn't met in person yet. Um, and they talked about the song 
And in the interview, Taylor revealed that after she wrote the song, she shelved it for three months before one day she decided it, she decided to play it for Scott Porchetta. And as soon as he heard it, he said, that's going to be the first single. Um, and I love, I love this. Yes. Again, we talk so much about how she like advocates for herself and just has no fear. And this is the perfect example of that. Amazing. At the end of the interview... Taylor asked Tim over the on the phone uh, with the radio station, so when are you going to be bringing out opening acts again? And he says he doesn't know. And then she says, I have someone who would be perfect for it. Her name is Taylor something. <laughs> to which Tim McGraw says, you're pretty fearless, Taylor Swift. Inspiration for the next album? I wonder. I know, you have to wonder. I do wonder. I think it probably was. I mean, because yeah. when you think about how formative this song, the, the album in general, it's her debut album, but this mm -hmm. song in particular yeah. really like launched her career. Mm -hmm. So all this interaction that she's having with this country icon yes. who wrote her favorite song at the time mm -hmm. is, I mean, that is a huge pivotal moment for her as an artist. Yeah. So you, you've got to think every interaction she had with him particularly this one, probably has a really special place in her heart. Yeah. And when she turns around to write a new album, like, why wouldn't you you call back to a moment oh, yeah. where you had a pinch me, oh my God, my dreams are about to come true, like, thing happen with a star, with a, with an idol of yours. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so cool. <laughs> so cute. I, I love, love it. That. <laughs> okay, so as we already said, um, the yes. collaborators on this were Liz Rose co-wrote it and then Nathan Chapman produced it. Um, now we're going to get into our overall ratings. For me, and I'm just going to call myself out here, I love her so much that it's going to be really hard for me to give her a bad grade on, on almost any song. So it's not hard for me to get to a 10 out of 10. <laughs> That's great because then we have a little bit of dynamic here. I yeah. love that. Uh -huh. So for me, it's a 10 out of 10. Sick, girl. I think the songwriting is amazing. I think it's the perfect introduction to Taylor. And like we talked about earlier, so smart to have her first big single be named after one of the biggest country artists and then get him to talk about her yeah. and then have all this like conversation around her song, just driving all this attention to her. I think it was amazing marketing strategy and just really cool to see somebody who like, as a fangirl myself, getting to see somebody have, like, an amazing fan experience. Fangirl moment. Like, yeah. ugh, I'm so happy for her. <laughs> anyway, on to you. 10 out of 10. Strong, that's a strong rating. I, um, <laughs> on, the, on the flip side of things, am definitely that, I'm that jerk who's like, there's always room for improvement. <laughs> so my, my scores will, will tend to be a little bit lower, but I don't think they're low. Like for, for me, a six out of 10 is solid, right? Like okay. in a 10 out of 10 for me, there's going to be very few of them. Okay. 10 out of 10, I am reserving for the shit <laughs> that the stuff that makes me like ache deep in my soul. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I give this a seven out of 10. Good. Yep. It's a super high, for me, a super high score. I think it fits the formula of country pop perfectly. Mm -hmm. I think it checks every single box for mm -hmm. what a good country song should, should sound like. Lyrically, super strong for her age. The production, really solid, minus our, our beef with the harmonies. <laughs> I think the production is super solid. Mm -hmm. um, and like you summed up perfectly, so I won't have to reiterate much of it, it's the perfect way to launch a career because yes. it's about an idol of hers. And she 
actually got to play it for him and yeah. interact with him and then open for him and it's like the most iconic debut song that yes. anyone could possibly ask for it's amazing amazing um yeah and i i kind of close out my rating i guess by by elaborating on the ranking system itself a little bit by saying that with respect to all the rest of her catalog, which there is like so much of. Mm-hmm. I think this song is super, super solid, but I'm saving the perfect ratings, the 10 out of 10s, for the stuff that doesn't just check every box, but like blows every box out of the water. Mm-hmm. Because she does that often. Oh yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. There are very few artists that I would say exceed my expectations Mm -hmm. consistently and she is one of them and that's why I'm being super stingy with my 10 out of 10 (laughs) but this is a really good song so that wraps our first uh, episode our our debut episode yeah yeah okay so where are we going from here what do we have in store next okay so our initial plan was to do five songs in one episode Um, this conversation has gone on longer than we had anticipated Um, So we're going to pause it here. Mm -hmm. We're going to start our next episode with tracks two through six. Mm -hmm. So that'll be Picture to Burn through the outside. I love that you know them offhand. (laughs) That's super impressive to me. Well, I I actually listened to the first five on my way over here again, just to like jog my memory Mm because I I took these notes over the weekend. Uh Um, and picture to burn is just as we will. That's your jam. As we will discover in the next episode, one of my favorite Taylor songs of all time. Um, yes. So that will be our next episode. And yeah. uh, in the meantime, uh, did we still want to do the thing where we close out with what song we're listening to currently? Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. What are you listening to? Okay, let's see. Well, before you got here, actually, yeah. I was listening to 1989. Yes. And in particular. I have been really, really loving uh, two songs on 1989. One, Clean, the song Mm -hmm. Clean, which is a beautiful song, Mm -hmm. and I think so well-produced and just very, like, gets you. If you've been through it, it gets you. Oh, yeah. And the other one that I've really not given the time of day until now is Wonderland. Mm. I think it's so much fun. Great bonus track. It's such a bop, yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely heard it before, But today, it came on, and I was just bopping my head, making our guacamole. (laughs) Like, where has this song been all my life? So I have a feeling that that one's going to be accompanying me to and from work on my commute for the rest of the week. (laughs) How about you? Uh, I... I'm, like, so all over the place right now. (laughs) I've just been listening to, like, a little bit of everything. Uh Um, Since the last time you and I talked, she put out her From the Vault version of you all over me so i've been giving that several listens really like that one Mm -hmm. um a song that i discovered that i like that i didn't i i don't think i ever listened to before we were doing this podcast is um cold as you which we didn't get a chance to talk about today but we will in the next episode talk about them the next time Uh uh-huh that one's been hitting hard for me (laughs) based on what i've recently (laughs) been going through in my personal life Uh uh so i've had that on a lot and then uh, the last time we recorded, I told you I've been listening to the back half of Red. Um, a couple of songs on there that I like, I go to a lot are Starlight is so much fun. So much fun. Begin Again is like the most bittersweet song I've ever heard. Um, 
and Stay, Stay, Stay is a lot of fun. Too. I can't <laughs> wait till we get to those albums that we can talk about. They're just all so good. They're all so all. good. I love, I love this thing that we attempt to do at the end of episodes. We're like, what song are you listening to right now? And we need to list at least two. <laughs> Probably upwards of six or seven if we are given the chance. Yeah. It's just gonna it's gonna be a free-for-all. And you know what though? That's just the way it should be. Alright, well, if you listened, thanks. Thanks. You've got some patience yeah. and we admire you. And hopefully you tune in for our next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>